Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. Before there were automobiles, there were bicycles. For a brief period, from about 1890 to 1908, the bicycle wheel was the greatest invention of all time. Steel ball bearings on the inside, eliminating friction, inflatable rubber tires on the outside, making the ride smooth and safe. These innovations made possible a simple, self-propelled machine five times more efficient than walking. There was a bicycle boom, mass production. Bicycles were everywhere, loved especially by young women because suddenly they were free to come and go as they pleased, uncontrollable, wild, passing horses on the road. All that changed in 1908 with Ford's Model T. It's all been about cars ever since. But the bicycle didn't go away. They're still the most efficient form of transportation by far, and they're fun. It's sort of the magic of the bicycle. If a bicycle fits you and it's reasonably well-tuned, it turns every road into a snow slope. That's Grant Peterson, well-known in the bike world for designing simple, traditional, highly crafted bikes that are a pleasure to ride. It's such a simple device. Bicycle is a wonderful, I think it's the best development, the best transportation of all time for a lot of green, hippie reasons, but also because it's really fun and it's so practical and, you know, it, it does no harm. I've never owned a Rivendale, one of Grant's bikes, but I've ridden two on separate occasions. Both were designed for the rider to sit in an upright, comfortable position with handlebars that swept back like albatross wings. In the past, I'd thought comfortable, upright bikes were heavy and hard to pedal, but Grant's bikes were surprisingly light and seemed to pedal themselves somewhat magically. I thought both times the guy who designed this bike must be an artist, a bicycle artist. I think it's good to do the hard thing. It's good to struggle and learn how to work tools or learn how to struggle with technique. And I never felt like the way to create a business was to hold your finger to the wind and see, uh, see what the trends were and see what the future is going to be and try to predict that and head it off at the pass. It was never that. I, I, just, I always wanted to just uh, make the kind of stuff that I personally used and and liked and believed in and then uh, hoped you know that other people would like it too and so far they have yeah that's how artists talk but going back to bicycle history or american history from the point of view of the bicycle from about 1908 until 1970 nobody rode bicycles except kids because everybody wanted to get a car as soon as possible and even the bikes for kids were designed to look like cars and motorcycles with the big tires and big headlights, fake gas tanks. After World War II, America was redesigned for the car and it became difficult to get around on a bicycle. So the bicycle industry in America was kind of going nowhere for a long time. But then on April 22, 1970, the first Earth Day happened. 
that brought the bike back because on Earth Day, one of the forms of protest was to ride a bicycle. The idea was to, was to get around without using any fossil fuels. And so bicycle made sense. That's when I got back into bicycles. I didn't even have a bike from the time I was 12 to when I was 15. I guess it was only three years. I was a sophomore in high school in 1970. And at the time, at our school, only one kid uh, rode a bike to school. His name was Mike Busby, and we had a student body of 1,600. And on Earth Day, 400 kids did. And after Earth Day, for the rest of my tenure in high school, at least 200 bikes were at school every day. And that got everybody all over the country riding bikes again. But the thing is, you have to imagine being a teenager at the time. You could finally ride a bike, and it wasn't reverting to childhood suddenly it's going to be, screw you, older people. We don't need your oil. We don't need your pollution. We don't need your bad policies. We're going to ride a bike. And suddenly there were people just scrambling to supply bicycles, gears, and accessories. And, and bike shops started selling 10 speeds really fast. You know, they, they would be sold out three months in advance of even getting them the orders in. In his 20s, Grant rode his bike across the country with his girlfriend and then started racing on the professional circuit. He was pretty good, but not a star. Yeah, I rode like a under 56-minute, 25-mile time trial sometime in 1982 or something like that. It, it, was, it was good at the time, but, you know, it's no life, you know. Um, I never really liked racing. I, I did it, but... I, I was not that into it. I always liked riding my bicycle. So I, I gave it up after six years and good riddance to it. When he was 30 in 1984, Grant got a job with Bridgestone, a Japanese tire company that also made bicycles and wanted to expand into the U.S. bike market. He started out doing clerical work but quickly became their director of design and marketing. The people there in the San Leandro office didn't know anything about bikes, didn't really particularly care that much about them. They were just units to sell, and then here I was, a bicycle guy. And they thought, wow, this American is going to help us design bikes. This is a big deal. It was just a wonderful place to sort of learn about bicycles and to grow. And uh, Japan, the Japan management were just super nice to me and overestimating me and just uh, taught me tons of stuff and treated me fantastically, and I owe everything to them. At Bridgestone, Grant realized he was a really good bike designer and that his mission was to rock the boat in the bike world by shunning popular trends and new gimmicks, choosing to stick with simple, traditional designs that emphasized comfort. A lot of those Bridgestone bikes, 30 years later are still being ridden and are worth more now than when they were new. But in 1994, Bridgestone closed its U.S. office and Grant was out of a job. So he decided to start his own company, Rivendell Bicycles, in the garage of his house in Walnut Creek. I cashed in IRAs and spent my severance pay, $23,000 or something, and then I sold stock. I formed a corporation and sold stock for a dollar a share. I said, well, I'm going to start my own bicycle business, and I'm selling stock for a dollar a share, and I figured that they would maybe come up with a 
50 awkward dollars, you know, here and there, but they were in for 1,000, 1,500, 20,000 in one case, 15,000 in another, 8,000 here and there. So I, with cashing in IRAs and severance pay and selling stock, we ended up with $89,000 and that was enough. You know, I mean, we've been here 23 years and some years we've made money, some years we haven't. We struggle all the time. We have we do fancy, good, super classy stuff, and we have really good people. We tell the truth. We don't cheat. But I'm not a crackerjack businessman, and uh, I'm sure I've overall I've made a case for what not to do. Besides designing bikes, Grant writes a lot about bikes trying to educate the public about how to ride for pleasure and how bikes are made, like how mountain bikes are designed differently than road bikes or how bikes are good for short camping trips. He's a strong proponent for all types of riding except racing. He's got a problem with the racing mentality. Racing is far too influential, and I would say most of its influences are bad. Um, You know, racing... It should just be regarded as fringe stuff, just like car racing is fringe. You know, people have their minivans and and regular old cars and uh, Subaru legacies, you know, and they don't feel like they have to dress like a NASCAR racer or ride like a NASCAR racer or own a car like a NASCAR racer probably has. I mean, there's certainly a lot of sports cars out there, so there is always that element, but it's not as pervasive as it is in bicycles. And in bicycles, you know, there are no famous tourists. There are no famous bicycle commuters. There are no famous people who shop on a bicycle. You know, there are famous bicycle racers, and they ride. They are rolling advertisements for their sponsors, so they wear special shoes that go on special pedals and special tight clothes with lycra and logos um, all over them. So the face of bicycle riding to the general public in America is that if you are an adult, you should ride a bike the way the pros do it uh, as much as your lifestyle. You may work Monday through Friday, you may work 50 hours a week, but by God, you know, when you have time to ride your bike, you should don the garb and go out and grunt and on these grueling rides, and I think that's completely wrong. Like, I was on a ride yesterday, and I was coming down this trail, and there were a couple guys on, you know, carbon dual suspension mountain bikes coming up the trail, and they said, hey, way to go, you're rocking the 50-pound bike. And, you know, no, it was not a 50-pound bike. You know, my bike was better than theirs, more beautifully made, totally, you know, every bit as good for that kind of riding with less overkill than theirs was. But people would rather buy the technology that lets them push the button and achieve success rather than buy the thing that has a little bit of a learning curve to it and stumble along the way and become good at it. For me, riding my bike connects me with the environment outside my head, with the natural world. I usually ride up a canyon near my house, no cars allowed, six miles uphill along a mountain stream. 
I watch the trees and grass and clouds, how they change color through the seasons and even with the time of day. I ride down the canyon slowly, making slalom turns using the free gravity. Riding a bike for me is a way to get centered, grounded. Well, I think everything these days, everything just becomes extreme. You know, it's like nothing stays in the center of the centrifuge. It just spins and everything that works that is commercially successful is an extreme something. The term high-tech bicycle or the, the, the idea of promoting bicycles as being better than another bicycle because it's more high-tech or bringing out electronic shifting or disc brakes or um, you know all those things may have their place you know disc brakes are better in really grimy wet conditions but overall just a simple bicycle is not a charming humble thing that needs coddling or that needs uh, somebody to speak up for it. it just as a device itself it is so phenomenal that you can get on it and go you know uh, in an injured person on a slightly downhill stretch can ride a bicycle faster than Usain Bolt can sprint and that's pretty amazing and he can do it while carrying 20 pounds of crap and Anything that lets you do that is, I mean, to my way of thinking, that's as close to magic as it needs to be. You've been listening to The Bicycle Artist on Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. This song is called, appropriately enough, Slow Bicycle by the Icelandic group Moon. There are some photos of Grant's bikes on our website, homebrave.com. Also, there's a link to the Rivendell site, I'm posting the link not as an advertisement, but because if you're interested in bikes, you can learn a lot by reading Grant's posts, whether you agree with him or not. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks even more to those of you who contribute to this show. I couldn't do it without you, and I very much appreciate it.